All right. Thank y'all, everybody, for tuning in tonight. We have a great show for y'all tonight. Uh, very educational, and I'm very excited about it. Um, we'll go ahead and bring DA on the screen. What's up, people? How y'all doing? That's all you got tonight? Mm-hmm. Girl, it's been a long day. <laughs> I agree with you. I about even go a lot to you. It's been a long day. I had to make sure I stayed up because if I laid down, I probably would have overslept. So, uh, I'm, I had uh, uh between like, physical therapy and all this other craziness, dinner not craziness, but getting ready for the game tomorrow. Ooh, ooh. Oh, oh, you you yawning already? Man, look here. I've been out since 4.30. Okay. And I ain't had a nap either. Mm -mm. I really thought you had nodded off for a second, though. I ain't going to lie to you. No. You know, I may sign on a little early, so I really thought you was. Mm -hmm. No, fighting the dog, and then I had, to, I had to go to the bathroom, and I was just like, man, what the hell? Well, it's yeah. it's never a dull moment with you. For real. Uh -uh. My God, so you want to play until I was like, you know what? I said I'm gonna just sit here. I ain't gonna move. I ain't gonna do nothing. So he got mad and got in his cage. Two minutes in his cage, his ass snoring. I said, see. Well, you know they're like children. That's usually when they sleep is when they act a little crazy. So yeah, I was like, see, you was tired anyway. There you go. Well, so uh, tonight, um, hey, Hope, thank you for tuning in. Um, so tonight, uh, the topic for tonight is the hard healing. We're talking about grief and trauma. So, you know, uh, a lot of people are still doing dealing with uh, trauma of some sort, 
a lot of it is childhood trauma um, and grief. You know, a lot of us is grieving over some things that we ain't got over. So uh, tonight I am very excited um, to have our guest on tonight. Uh, funny thing is I found her on Facebook. <laughs> so hey, hey, um, it, it was like the, the universe came together. Uh, from her in on what she told me, and then from what I told her, and the universe was just like, hey, here it is, let's do it. So I'm going to bring up uh, our guest for tonight, and we have Larnika Lavalis coming on tonight. Hey, here it is, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's get it. <laughs> We already feel like we family and that backstage be going off. Oh, yeah. oh, we yeah. already had half a show already in the, in the back. Definitely enjoyed so. it. And I'm ready for the show. Thank you once again for yeah. having me. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you for coming on. I was like too excited when you responded. You know, some people you reach out to them, they don't like to respond. I was like, let me go ahead and check this out you smart i was like oh shucks i told him i was like oh shucks i might have somebody i got all excited i was like hey this is what it okay. is so I, i'm yeah. excited awesome awesome yeah. I'm, so, <laughs> I'm glad so tell us a little something about you okay um i am learning collabless i'm a licensed professional counselor supervisor I have a private practice and I also work in education. Um, born and raised in Port Arthur, Texas, I consider myself a mental health advocate. Um, my goal is to serve the underserved in the communities to make mental health accessible and to educate them in uh, mental health because we don't know on average, you know, we don't know. If nobody tells us what we're dealing with or what's what, we don't know, you know, so, uh, yeah. I, you, de you definitely yeah. said that right. That's me pretty much, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna start off with the questions, cause I know- I knew he was coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm always, I'm always, I'm the inquisitive one. Okay. How, as a, a, a African Americans, oh, did you no. end up in the field of mental health? Because again, we we are from the culture, or we keep everything in house. We don't talk to, we don't talk to nobody. We don't tell our business because that ain't what we do. So, how did you end up in that field? I can honestly say I believe it was a calling because we don't end up in that field and mental health was not something that was on my my radar you know my goal was to become a, a lawyer i wanted to be an attorney and when i got to college i you know did not have to study so i was like man i don't know what i'm gonna do and so i graduated with a degree in criminal justice and sociology Criminal justice was interesting because I knew I wanted to do that. Sociology was kind of trying to explain why people committed the crimes they did. So I already had that going on in my head. And so graduate, looking for a job. Uh, the prison industry in the Port Arthur area was really big at the time. And so I got a job at the prison as an institutional parole officer. 
And so while I'm there, I'm like about 22 years old, 23 years old. And all I'm seeing is a lot of black and brown guys. I was at a, a maximum security prison, Mark Styles unit. And I'm seeing all these guys. And I was there for about five and a half years. So as I'm getting older, I'm seeing the inmates get younger with life sentences, 70 year sentences, stacked sentences. And as a parole officer, I'm listening to their life history because we had to do reports uh, that would go to the parole board who made decisions whether or not these folks got out on parole or not. And so I'm hearing all this stuff, all the trauma, all the tragedy, all the abuse, mental health stuff they didn't really know they had. And for the most part, education failed them. And so for me, you know, I was doing some work. I, I was a little go-getter, wanted to advocate for the community. I was like, well, I missed the civil rights era, so I'm going to do some stuff in this era. You know, in, an, in the uh, early 2000s, I want to make my mark and do some things. And so I had some outreach programs at the church, and we kept getting uh, kids with issues that was beyond what I knew pray about it. I had inmates, you know, telling me you, you'd be a good counselor. You're listening to us. I had other people saying you'd be a good counselor. You're listening to us, you know? Um, and so it was just like, okay, I can at least go into education and be a counselor. Cause I didn't know nothing about a therapist. I didn't know how to be a therapist. What I didn't know nothing about that. And so when I went back to my college, cause I'd had a, a master's degree in criminology by this time. And so my goal was to get to the federal government because I was like, I don't know, I'm being an attorney, but I at least want to work for the feds. And so when I went to uh, Lamar University, they asked me, do you want to do school counseling or community counseling? I'm like, well, what's the difference? Because I didn't know. And, you know, they explained. I said, well, I got some time. I'll do both because by that time I figured out how to study and what I needed to do to be a good student. And so I was like, yeah, bring it on. And so I did both. And um I had to become an uh, educator in order to be a school counselor, so I had to do that. And it opened my eyes to a lot more than what, it's like I, the prison was the after part. The school uh, house, as you, as you will, was before. So I had the before and after. I got before and then the after. And so as a school counselor at that time, I'm seeing, you know, I was a teacher and I saw all the issues. Then I became a school counselor got to really see it, but I wasn't able to counsel. And so I just picked back up the LPC part of what I was doing. And that's how I became a licensed professional counselor. So I did both. So I'm a certified school counselor and I'm a licensed professional counselor. Okay. That is what's up. Yes. And I, and I missed a step. I was mentoring a, a kid in a juvenile uh, facility because I wanted to be a prison minister, but I wasn't a minister. I just wanted to try to encourage, you know, the, the inmates to, you know, keep your head up. It'll be all right. That kind of thing. And they was like, well, don't do the adults, do the kids. And so I had one little kid they gave me and he was like the worst kid there. He kept getting in trouble, but he had like, he had so much trauma. And I think he was like maybe 14 or 15 and his mother had sold him into prostitution. I mean, it was a mess. And nobody came to see him. I was the only person visiting him. He would get in trouble. They would call me. Uh, he's cutting up. I'm like, well, I'm not the mama. I'm just a volunteer that comes up here to see him. And so with that and me, I was a Sunday school teacher teaching my class and my kids, Lord. They, you know, 
<laughs> they was doing the most Sunday morning. And I was telling them, like, I got this kid I've been seeing. And man, y'all blessed. Y'all family's here and this and that. And so they ended up writing letters to him, you know, trying to help him to keep his head up with what he was going through and all that. So all that played its part into what you see today. That's what's up. That's that's awesome. You was already making an impact from the from the get go. That that calling was doing you like this. It was knocking up the door. Okay. Yes, I I believe mm. that wholeheartedly. You know, if there was a problem, I was trying to fix it. What can I do? Let's see. We need to march somewhere. So what are we gonna do to resolve the issues? That that was me always trying to trying to help somebody. And that that's awesome. That that that's awesome. Um, so as we talk about uh ooh, I'm like which part we want to hit first. <laughs> the trauma okay. or the grief. Uh uh let's they, ooh, um, they go hand in hand. Go and pick DA. Which which one they they do, they they definitely do. Uh mm. Let, let's let's well, go and hit pick. with the okay. go and hit the trauma part. So oh, I, I couldn't. You supposed to you you my right hand. So like I couldn't make up my mind. So work out on you. So okay, just to get a uh, mm. paint a better foundation. Okay, I know it's it's been said that people in the field of of mental health, behavioral health, whatever you want to call it, or one or two people, people that want to help or people that's trying to figure out what's what's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Which one are you? And how does that play into uh, your faith? Okay, well, I think I was initially someone wanting to help. My trauma was back there, as we do. My trauma was packed up in a, in a little box, and I figured it wasn't going to ever, ever come out. So let me focus on other people. And so for me, it was wanting to help these, these black and brown uh, gentlemen not go to prison and have their whole lives you know, taken from them and having people. I didn't want that reverse slavery happening. You know, that, that was me, you know, and then as I was studying, because it took me a while, it took me a while to get this last master's degree because I started the master's with the counseling program. And then when I found out I had to be an educator to be a school counselor, I had to pause it and do these education courses. And so I, I have no education background. And so I had to be on this uh, probationary period that gave you three years to get certified. At the time, I was getting the full salary, getting the medical benefits, all that stuff. And my time was running out. So I had my time running out. Church was having issues, Lord. Church was a mess. Okay. <laughs> it was a mess. I know my people watching. Y'all know it was a mess. And so I had all this stress going on. I had me trying to be somebody else. All that came on to me and I started having panic attacks and anxiety. So I had already started the program before my stuff showed up. And as I went through the program and as I've become a therapist and helping other people, guess what happened to that box? 
it started opening up. It said, hey, Merry Christmas one day. Here it is. Go on and open this up and let's see. So initially helping, but then my stuff showed up. And so this is where I am today um, talking about my stuff, you know, letting people know I feel you because I've had similar experiences, you know, so and it helps. I can tell you that as a therapist, when people come to therapy, they want to know that their therapist can relate to them, understand what they're going through. I might not have gone through a lot of stuff that people have, but I've gone through my own stuff. You know, and I know what it feels like to have anxiety. I know what it feels like to be uh, depressed. And so I think that's comforting and it helps that connection as we, you know, uh, begin the healing journey. Definitely. So by description, what is your definition of trauma? My definition of trauma is when an event occurs and it affects you in such a way that you fear it happening again. It affects you in such a way that you can't function properly. You know, uh, it, it affects you physically. It might make you sick. It might give you pain. And you hadn't even been hurt nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. it affects you mentally. You might have some some paranoia, some delusions, you depression, definitely. You may have all these things that have occurred. Trauma could have occurred to our ancestors, and we feel it physically because that generational curse, I truly believe that they speak of, is the trauma. What happens physically to the body, mentally, to the the body, the brain, how the brain chemistry changes as a result of the trauma. Mm. I I agree. I agree. And it's it's well. I'm glad that you said that because people don't realize how powerful the mind is mm-hmm. when it comes to stuff. Um <clears throat> like for instance, how somebody could can I think because they have a false sense that somebody could be brain dead, but mm-hmm. the body is still there. Oh yeah, but it's just a shell. But like, like they say, uh, I you can have faith, you can believe in something to the point where you can achieve it. Yes, and that is very true. When we talk about manifesting uh, affirmations, part of what we do in therapy, one of our coping techniques that we utilize is positive self-talk and positive affirmations. Because naturally, when we go through something, um, trauma, anything in life and our self-esteem and our self-worth is low, maybe, you know, because of things we've experienced, we tell ourselves, oh, man, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I can't do this, nobody's going to want me, I got out. We're already training our brain to believe that. We have negative affirmations and negative self-talk going on on automatic. Negative, 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 yeah. negative, negative. And so you keep hearing it every day because you're telling it to yourself. You begin to believe it. You begin to feel it. I can't do this because this might happen. I can't do that. I'm not worth doing this. I ain't going to never be able to get this. And so one of the things we do as part of a coping technique to help a person heal, we retrain the brain. We retrain our thoughts and our beliefs. You know, that is cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. 
we've retrained our beliefs. We changed that belief and retrained how you think about yourself, how you think about life and events and circumstances that happen. And you got to keep doing it because you don't realize you're doing it anyway, the negative way. So now you got to be intentional. Yeah. You're doing it the positive way, getting these positive changes in your life. So. Mm. That, that was a whole. Mm. And that is the that is that is pretty much the key to therapy. You got to change how people view whatever happened. You have to read like the, the, uh, the inner child, you know, our inner child. Ooh, girl, look, I hey, I will preach. <laughs> I grew up that <laughs> Don't start it. But yeah, our inner child was hurt by something, you know, and that inner child is still there. And, and that child had some belief about herself to where as an adult, we carry that in us. And that's why people say about doing that inner child work, because we do have to go back and heal that child. You know, Ooh. by doing those things, by talking, by by educating ourselves. You know, God knew what he was doing when he made me an educator. I didn't think I was. I'm like, God, that I'm not granted when I changed careers, that wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a teacher. I was like, no, not with these bad kids, because I had subbed before. I was a substitute teacher when I first got out of college before I became a parole officer. And I was like, never again, life, Lord, never again in life. I'm not doing it. And so, you know. Taking that step and, and, and doing it, you know, you, you got to see a, a, a whole lot there. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it is the, the mind, the, your thoughts that you have controls a lot. When we talk about manifesting things, you know, the law of attraction or you look at um, or what was uh, it's a proverb, you know, as, uh, as a man think it, so he is, you know, those things uh power of the tongue all that's real that's yeah that's accurately real yes that that's i believe in that wholeheartedly and we have to practice those things and be intentional you know when we do that if we want the change to happen yeah 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 definitely got to change your perspective mindset shift definitely. So I, I wanna, yeah i want to go back to something real quick um because you keep mentioning church and then mentioning uh mental health okay how do you separate the two because i know growing up in church they didn't believe in mental health yeah it, you, you got demons or uh or you got you, something wrong which you just can't get right so how do you separate the two for one? And then the second part of that question is, is it possible for them to go hand in hand? I believe they can. I believe it depends on the leadership of the church. The leader of the flock has to believe in mental health. I was blessed enough at the time. Uh, pastor Wayne Morris was my pastor at the time. And when I started the outreach program in church, which was part of the road to where I am right now, he believed in having something for those kids. And he gave me the green light by saying, do so. Now, we didn't know it was therapy, but we knew we were having something to talk to them to try to reach them. You know, and fast forward, as I uh, got ready to go into private practice, there was a, a pastor, uh, Domingo, at, at uh, Rock Island Baptist Church. 
he believed in mental health. He and his wife, you know, gave me a call. They were doing a brief ministry at their church because I think his mother had passed and maybe another family member had passed at the time. And uh, in Port Arthur, we hadn't so long dealt with Hurricane Harvey. I'm not certain if y'all are familiar with Hurricane mm, Harvey. Yes. It's flood that came. It was almost like, you know, where's Noah in the ark? Because this thing is serious. Well, at that time, a lot of people, some people, a lot of people passed away. A lot of people lost everything. If you wanted trauma to show up, it showed up in that first before COVID. And so um, he and they invited me to come speak. I, I spoke to them. So that pastor believed in mental health. There are other pastors that I follow online. That's one in uh, Philadelphia. I can't think of the name of the church right now. Uh, but they believe in that because God calls people to do what he would have them to do. And like I said before, I ain't know nothing about mental health. Didn't know anything about it. Now, I did not grow up in a church where they said you were possessed or anything or had demons. I didn't grow up with that. I didn't have those kind of teachings. They never, they didn't necessarily promote mental health, but they didn't say you were damn to hell either. You know, and so um, for me, I know how I got here. And I would tell anybody, you got to have, if you believe, if you trust God to be able to do all of these things, you have to put some work in as well. We're not helping God be God because God is God and there ain't nothing we can do to help him be him. But he gives us tools. He gives us people. He gives us things that we can do to be able to help ourselves. And so that is how, for me, I've been able to separate the two. And when I talk to people, um, I think the culture is shifting a little bit. Now, you still got these people that will go throw a, a, a sheet on you and tell you go over there and pray and get <laughs> and, and all this other generational stuff going on. And that's where they at. That's where they at. More than likely, they're not coming into my office. But for those who <laughs> are coming into my office, who believe in God, who have faith, who pray, even for those who don't, you know, I continue. Yes, please pray. And these are some other things that we can do while you're praying. In addition to praying and having faith that God's going to do this for you, he's going to deliver you from anxiety, from depression. I, I don't dispel any of that. If that's what the people believe, that's what they believe. But here are some things that you can do. When I teach them about meditation, I'll tell them, meditate on the scripture. Pray and meditate. Find you a gospel song that is inspirational to you. Pray on it. Because remember, it's a mindset shift. So if you shift in your mind based on our scripture, okay, as long as you have these positive thoughts about who you are and what you want to create for yourself or what you believe that God is going to do for you, you have to change that. Because a lot of times people in faith, when they are going through stuff, God hates me, um, I, you know, I, I, the devil got me, so I'm praying for God to let, let it go and all this other stuff. But now you got to believe that you are saved i am set free i'm released i i'm, I'm good you could, you know the devil thought he had me now he ain't got me no more. okay that's fine too so i think that they can very well go hand in hand i, I believe that your leadership is what's most important if you and I've, I've done actually mental health outreach at different churches you know churches have invited me to come speak they've had like health fairs or different things like that they might, the pastors might not necessarily understand it. And some do. 
because I've actually, when I was in my counseling courses, there were some pastors and ministers in there because for pastoral counseling, they realized, okay, it's some stuff going on that we don't really know about. And we, you know, asking the people to pray, but it's not enough at this particular time. What else can we do? How can we lead and guide our people into the best mental health they can have? And so people are educating themselves. They're, they're learning more. And thank God for that, because, you know, as different traumatic events occur, we're suffering. You know, when I say the people perish because of lack of knowledge, we don't know what's happening with us. If we don't know what's happening in this body, in this flesh, how can we be fruitful and live abundantly and do, do those things if we have no idea what's going on? If we believe some myth back there, you know, that was taught years ago out of fear because people did not know what mental health was. As black people, that was white folks stuff. That is not, we don't have those problems. We just pray about it. And if we do have those problems, we're going to hide it because when tech, when when mental health and science and medical stuff, they was giving people lobotomies. Well, hell, I ain't going to tell nobody nothing wrong with me if y'all going to screw my brain out. You know, I'm not going <laughs> yeah, yeah. to hide them in the back room. We don't want our loved one to have that mess going on. Exactly. And so that was a lot of the reason people hid it. They didn't say anything. Just pray about it, baby, because we didn't want them to go take them to some hospital and, and, and screwing their brains out and doing that stuff. We and right. All that barbaric stuff they did to try to figure out how to help people with mental health problems. So, yeah. Yeah, you 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 definitely right. You you definitely right. Um, how would somebody know that uh, they have trauma? Because I think as growing up, and I'm gonna say in the African American community, um, as growing up, we're taught that this is life, this is how it is. This is this is just what it is. Um, and that ranges from the abuse, you know, them them good old ass whoopings was just supposed to be good old ass whoopings because you was out of line, not yeah. aligned as trauma being associated with it or uh, being cussed out or, you know, all those things along those lines growing up is just like, that's just the way the black household goes. So how can somebody identify that they have trauma? I think when you notice you can't function in your norm anymore, whatever your norm looks like, because it's really, if you, if you don't know, you won't know, you know, I had anxiety disorder. I, and I was studying to become a, a counselor, a therapist. And I wasn't certain what was happening to me. I just knew something different was going on. You know, I'm getting real, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, as they say. I got a nervous stomach and all this stuff. And it doesn't happen um, all the time. For me, I would wake up, get ready for work, get in the car, stomach ache. Oh, I got to go back in the house my stomach So That's how it hit me. And I told my doctor, you know, I'm thinking like, and I had gallbladder surgery prior to that, maybe a couple of years. So I was feeling some of the same stuff, probably why I had the gallbladder issues in the first place. But nevertheless, I mentioned to my primary care physician, like, man, I'm having these issues. I don't know. And she was like, oh, you're stressed. Here's some Xanax. I'm like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't want that insurance getting high at school with the Xanax, the bar pills. I don't want the bar pills. What is going on? 
you know, and so uh, I talked to one of my professors and she was like, yeah, that sounds like you have an anxiety. You need to go talk to a therapist. And so eventually I did never took the Xanax, but I did take boost par because my mom, who finally disclosed to me, oh, take this. I'm taking it for my anxiety. What sis? Are you going to say something? I didn't even know. But nevertheless, we function daily and we live in this body and we do. And if we never consider things that happen to us to be traumatic because definition of trauma, military stuff, maybe car wreck, fire in your house, stuff like that. We don't look at verbal, uh, I won't say verbal abuse, because sometimes your parents were necessarily intending on abusing you. They was just giving you that slave talk. Sit your ass down and shut up, you know, or I will beat you or whatever the case may be to try to get us to behave. Okay, but nevertheless, that could be traumatic. And so we figure I ain't been in the military. I didn't have this going on, so I'm fine. But if you notice things are different, because it'll something to be different, something to change. You can't sleep at night. Maybe you can't eat. You're nerved up. You're irritated. Your relationships are affected, whether it is intimate relationships or your coworkers or family. You're snapping at people, whatever the case may be, or you've withdrawn. Maybe you used to be an outgoing person. You used to just go to the football games or go to wherever you're going, and then you just kind of stop. Well, I ain't going today. I ain't going. Well, well, girl, you ain't coming. You always come out with us. No, I ain't going. So it's it's being self-aware. Now, sometimes our people around us ask us, well, what's wrong? And we might think, well, y'all, what you mean what's wrong? Y'all just should know. We have to be self-aware. Okay, something's different. Something is going on with me. I've lost weight or I've gained weight, not really trying to do one or the other, can't sleep, just these different things. And with that, I will start questioning why, what's wrong with me? And the better get the help of understanding that it is trauma, talk to, talk to a professional, whether it is your primary care physician. Hopefully they have a bit more knowledge of, yeah, this sounds like some stress, at least stress. If they started off with stress, this sounds like acute stress disorder. I don't know if they're going to say all that, but it sounds like you're stressed. Here's some Xanax. No, don't take it. Go talk to somebody that can tell you <laughs> what's really going on and get an evaluation. Even if you, just, you know, they got enough stuff online. You can, they got a lot of um, clinics and practices have like, um, um, was it like mental health screenings, sometimes different. Uh, areas or they'll do a mental health screen, especially like in May, Mental Health Awareness Month, somebody might have some mental health screenings or something. You can screen yourself or, you know, dare I say, go to WebMD because you might think you got something else going on. <laughs> you can look at the symptoms. Okay, look, Lord, I got schizophrenia. No, you don't. <laughs> you know, people be looking at this stuff and because that was me. And I got all these textbooks telling me what was what. And I'm looking at WebMD and I'm like, I can't sleep. Not eating. What is that? Yeah, I had anxiety. So, yeah, being self-aware, you know, paying attention to yourselves and knowing that something's different. Maybe we don't like the way we feel. I get a lot of that. I just don't feel right. And then we start mm. talking to them and we kind of start peeling off a few layers to be able to get an understanding of, oh, okay, this is more than likely why you're feeling this way. Yeah. 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 Um, I think for me, um, you know, going back into um, childhood uh, for myself, 
I remember being little and feeling like in my this stomach pain and feeling like mm -hmm. when I breathed to a certain point, I felt like I had a hook in my stomach. And I could always tell my dad and my mom, man, my stomach hurt, my stomach hurt, my stomach hurt. And it went on through life. Now, in early when I finally really got diagnosed and I was still having pains, I was like, hey, I was having anxiety at a young age, like four. Because um, I remember the night my dad got married, um, <laughs> his whole honeymoon, we spent in the emergency room every, going every night because my stomach was just killing me. So they took all these tests and had me drinking this chalk and stuff to do x-rays. And finally, the doctor said, man, you've been in here all week and we ain't finding nothing wrong with her. And it's like, did anything in life change? Has anything changed? He said, man, I just got married. I'm supposed to be on my honeymoon. And he was like, ding, 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 that's it. ding, ding, ding. Mm -hmm. that, that's what it was. And I'm like, damn, when I start looking now and looking back and I'm like, damn, they got married when I was like four. So that's yeah. the earliest I can recall having anxiety then. But who knew what anxiety was in the late 70s, early 80s? Mm-hmm. And it was either, I mean, not going all into your business, but you probably had, either you had something that was going on that affected you or because of genetics, it started affecting you. I, we're not, we are not conscious of mental health disorders. We're not truly conscious of the trauma unless, yeah, I got in a bad car wreck and yeah, I know that's messing me up. When these, um, uh, when these small things happen, uh, accumulated trauma, you know, just little things that occur, if it keeps occurring, it could build up to major trauma. You know, I was, uh, I, I changed schools. I was in the first grade. I had gone to Catholic school. Now I'm Baptist, but I went to Catholic school. Long story on that. Growing up, my mom didn't want me in public school. I went to Catholic school. And I don't know if the school was getting ready to close. They talked about it. Something was different. My mom wanted to put me in a public school. And so first grade, I go to public school. I had a nervous stomach is what the doctors diagnosed me with because I kept feeling like I was yep. going to grow up or pooping or whatever was going on. Then it, it happened so much, my mom ended up putting me back in the uh, Catholic school. And I stayed there the fifth grade and ended up going to Woodrow Middle School. And I was fine after that for the most part. But I think that we respond we don't know it's not intentional the responses that we have for with trauma anxiety depression all these things they become a natural part of the body like with anxiety the fight or flight or uh, freeze or fawn that is something that instinctively happens our brain basically tells our body there is some danger there is something going on and our body reacts to the danger, our body, the heart beats fast, the breathing is shallow, the stomach starts turning, the adrenaline glands going, all these other things because our body is saying, we finna fight or we running, but we sitting still. A lot of times when people have panic attacks, they thinking about something and those thoughts have triggered the body to react. So what you see is the body reacting. And I be getting, you know, I deal with a lot of kids that's having panic attacks and they be wanting to ball up. They're like, no, 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 we finna walk. We're gonna walk this out. Because your body needs to move. Your body is basically saying, I'm ready to run a fight. So we have to put your body in motion to kind of ground you to get those twirling thoughts out of your mind so you can, you know, 
come back and, and, and get your breathing normal and all of those things because it doesn't last long when it happens. It, it lasts for a period because, you know, you fight, you're not fighting all night unless you've been trained to kind of box. <laughs> you know, they take a break for a minute before they go back swinging. So it's our body, our body naturally responds to these things. And so as we get knowledge of what's happening with our bodies, different things happen, then we can be intentional with controlling it, managing it, stopping it from happening. Will we always have anxious moments? Yeah, we're human. Anxiety is a natural thing that we will have. What happens is when it stops us from living, you know, we start avoiding things, uh, we can't do different stuff. You know, um, we develop phobias and I need to stay away from this because I don't want this to happen or whatever the case may be. That's when anxiety becomes a problem. But if you're excited about something, you're getting ready to speak at something, get a little anxious, that's fine. That's going to happen. But it's when that fight or flight mode is activated in us because, you know, our body doesn't know, oh, you're having anxiety. It's like, no, where is that? We're going to fight. Are we getting ready to run? You know, are we freezing because we don't want it to look at us. You know, whatever it is, don't get us you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. And the most difficult part is with kids with mental health disorders or trauma, response to trauma, because they don't know. They just know what they're feeling. They don't know why. And a lot of times parents don't seem to know why either, or they're in denial about it. You know, uh, that is a challenge. Um, sometimes if parents have experienced their own mental health um issues and have worked through it, it could go either way. Either they are understanding and they'll take their kids to therapy and do all these different things to support them. Or they'll be like, well, if I bounce back, you could bounce back. So you don't need it. I just like, oh, no. Yeah, help me. Mm. They don't understand. They don't understand. They don't know. We don't know. If, if no one has taught us what, what this is, you know, that we're dealing with. Yeah, true. So one of the questions we had in the comments is why is trauma suppressed so much in black men? Because black men are not supposed to cry. That hyper masculinity that uh, comes with, with, with being black man, even with black women, that we're supposed to be strong. You know, black Woo. men are not supposed to cry. They're not supposed to show emotions. You're just supposed to deal with it. And I bring that back to slavery. You're not supposed to say nothing. You're not supposed to question anything. You're just supposed to do. Be quiet, shut up, and do. And as a as as men, you know, they're the head of the household and all of these things. Um, they they I mean, they've been taught don't show any weakness if you cry or show any emotions. And that's what men over the spectrum, but especially black men, you're considered weak. You know, uh, black boys. I have two nephews. They're little. They're five and four. My oldest nephew cries. Stop that. Stop crying. He cries. Let him get that out. That is okay. And and this, and, and I'm not knocking my sister because I know she's watching. I ain't knocking him. But I think as, as a culture, we don't want the boys to cry. The girls can cry. Oh, come on. It's okay. <laughs> Boy, stop it. You stop all that crying, you know, kind of thing. And I think we've, we've done our culture uh, just it's been bad for the culture to teach that, that it's, it's not okay to show those emotions. And if you do show emotions, it's anger. And anger in a black man could be depression. 
It could be anxiety. It could be grief. It could be a trauma response. It could be all sorts of things, but it's shown as anger because that is the only emotion that was okay, the aggression. Be tough, be a man, be aggressive. So when folks go do stuff and you wonder why, not saying it's okay, but I'm just saying, you know, no one's taught them that it's okay to cry. It's okay to show weakness. It's okay to fail. You get back up, you're going to be just fine. It's like toughen up, be a man, keep doing it. And it, it, people can't do that. Eventually, I think what's happening, <clears throat> excuse me, in this generation, because of all the trauma we've experienced, and everybody experienced trauma at the same exact time with COVID. Now, granted, Harvard happened to folks who was in Southeast Texas, Houston area. You know, Katrina happened to the New Orleans folks that happened to that particular region of people. Earthquakes happens to those people over there. Uh, snow, blizzards, whatever, El Nino stuff happens to the people in that side of the world. Everybody had COVID, not literally, but you know, we dealt with COVID, seen it on the news, seen your loved one die, seen people didn't even know die. You know, I thought Cuomo was going to be the mayor of the world because we listened to all of his news briefings. You know, everybody experienced that trauma, whether you had it or not. We were all traumatized because you mean the world got to stop? And so with mm -hmm. all of that piling up on people, it piles up, it piles up. It goes back from slavery, Jim Crow, uh, all that piles up. We had the uh, Black Lives Matter. We had all these different things. It piles up. It piles up. We're at the breaking point. That's what we see when uh, they were saying about people, these mass shootings. And wait a minute, Black people shooting up stuff now? The, the suicide rates. What do you mean? Black people, we don't commit suicide. Uh, yes, we do. Because we're all at that breaking point. And this is where mental health and advocacy and education is most important because we got to help us deal with all of that. That plus all that other stuff that piled up on us. So, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Um... This would be, I guess, twofold. Uh, Quincy asked, how can someone who lives in a crime-ridden area find an outlet for everyday stress that they endure? Examples, gun violence, drug use, et cetera. And then someone also said, not everyone has funding for doctor visits or I'm sure that meant like mental health. Yeah. <clears throat> well, for I, I'll do the first one and remind me if I missed the second one. Um, how to deal with the crime-ridden areas, that's is tough. It's really tough. Um, the main thing is finding your, your peace somewhere in the midst of that, changing your mindset, setting a, setting a goal to try to get out of there. I know that's easier said than done for a lot of people. They feel like they're stuck in those situations. But getting lost in music, getting lost in painting, finding a hobby, finding something that you can do. If there are moments when you can step out of that community for peace, the main thing is giving your mind and your body an opportunity to rest, to relax, even if it's 20 minutes, even if it's a day. Because the more you can try to find those moments of relaxation, the better it is for your mental health. But when it's just doing this every single day, that can be taxing. And then you can, you know, uh, be engulfed by those things. So being able to cope finding coping strategies changing your mindset you know finding that peace finding that place where you can find some peace maybe trying to do something somewhere where you can help somebody because 
helping people uh, helps us to help ourselves, not to help to the people to the point that we're neglecting ourselves, but to be able to do things, um, finding some programs, if there are any programs available, even if it's not anything available in your area, if you have, you have access to watch us right now, you have access to find some group that's a good group online, some people that's talking some really good stuff, not that yeah, yeah, junk, they talking about some BS, but they got some people that's actually feeding you some knowledge, feeding you some good things, and you can create that environment that you want within that, you know, unfortunate space that you're in right now. Now, as it comes to mental health and finding that help, uh, somebody had posted about that the other day. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are places you can go. I know some clinics are full. I, and, and trust me, when we try to refer these kids, you can be waiting for five months to see a psychiatrist. But they do have places and spaces that um, see clients for free, uh, sliding scales, um, my practice, Larnika Lava's LPC, PLLC, we do free therapy because I'm a LPC supervisor. I have graduate interns. They cannot get paid. And so we offer free therapy services to them. Um, we do a sliding scale because I have a day job. So this is advocacy for me. You know, if I didn't have a day job, I don't know. You know, and people have high fees because they're trying to live. They got to pay their bills, too. So where the average therapy session fee may be 150 to 250, mine is 90 bucks out of pocket because I'm trying to make it accessible to people. Do everybody have 90 bucks? No. But if I got a graduate intern with some space, y'all can see that graduate intern for free if you're in the state of Texas. And I think therapists do offer some sessions pro bono, but they're not going to announce it because then you'd have 100 people knocking down their doors looking for free therapy. But I think if you ask them, do you provide any sliding scales? Do you have uh, anything like that available? You will find that you will have some. Not enough, but you will have some. You know, um, they do have some of these online programs and some of these can be a bit expensive. Um, but the main thing is just keep knocking and keep trying and see who may have something available that could fit your, you know, what you have financially. And you know, that's the thing. <clears throat> now, see, I wasn't going to get political. But I mean, when we think about universal <laughs> health care, <laughs> where we could have stuff that's affordable to people, mental health should fall in that as well. No, we don't have it, you know. Um, but we need to be able to have something available to help people. They, you know, they they have stuff. You just have to find it. They're not gonna knock on your door and be like, "Hey, come get this." You know, you just have to kind of seek and you shall find. Uh oh. Yeah, she get uh. That's one of her stressors. She got bootleg internet, so yeah, she get internet from. Look, Xfinity doing all right right now <laughs> for me. Uh, she getting yes, it from so her um, next door neighbor down the street. Oh, so, <laughs> so he probably saw her name on there and kicked off. Now, nah, oh just, man, well, you um, know. nah. So I hear everything you're saying, okay. and I want to I want to go to something what you said earlier about the the inner child. Okay. 
about dealing with the inner child. How for people that have and I I'm let me backtrack. So I believe everything I agree with stuff when you saying everything is piled up from past experiences, um, from basically from the time you came out the womb until it basically got to a point where it just burst, the bubble burst. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, going back to that, that inner child that, that's there, how do people, how do you think people can heal that in, inner child? For one, they have to look at what they believe about themselves and about their environment. Then they have to dig deep to see where did that come from. And if they discover that it came from something in childhood, that's where they start. Um, I love my parents. My parents love me. My parents were typical black parents. They 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 discipline with words. And I got weapons too, <clears throat> but they discipline with words. And I don't think it was anything intentional, but sometimes those words can hurt. And I think for me, I, I grew up thinking that I, I couldn't do anything right. You know, um, I always messed up with something and it, it affected my self-esteem and my self-worth. And I had a shadow work coach, actually, that helped me, um, you know, discover my inner child. Because as a therapist, we ain't really talk about that in school, you know, so... Uh, although Carl Jung actually coined shadow work, we didn't, we went on Jung that much. I didn't have any much Jungian uh, mm-hmm. courses, but um, when you discover where that belief comes from, you have to dig a little bit more. Okay, so growing up, <clears throat> excuse me, my parents would, they wanted the best of me. And so they would, you know, get on me about doing this. And I, I, I gained this sense of I will, I'm never doing anything right. I can't ever do anything right. And as an adult that came with me, I can't ever do anything right. And so that's where, that's part of my inner child that I've had to work on healing, having that confidence, you know, knowing my self-worth, um, boosting my self-esteem to know that, yeah, you can do stuff right. Look how successful you are. You have a whole, you on this platform right here, okay? You're helping people. You've been doing this. You've got all these degrees and, and, and licensures and certifications, and you're doing these things. Do I still feel that way sometimes? Yes. And that's where the positive self-talk, the positive affirmations come in because I've been telling myself that for, let me say, I've been on my healing journey for three years. So for 43 years, I was telling myself that I couldn't do it. I could never do nothing right. I could never do nothing right. And so now I've been telling myself, yes, you are. Yes, you can. I've been believing in myself more. I've been doing the work because it takes work. You can't just say, oh, I see where my inner child is wounded. Okay. Yeah, but it's some work because unbeknownst to you, you were working on beating it up. You were working on um, believing the negative um, uh, characteristics about yourself. You know, when I talk to clients at times and I ask them to tell me something positive about themselves, they cannot. They can tell me what other people think, but they say, yeah. I'm a good friend. And they say, I'm a good. What about you? What about your own self? Yeah. So you got to look at where did that come from mm-hmm. and be intentional with putting in the work to heal that, to mm-hmm. change your mindset and your belief about yeah. how you feel about yourself. 
And as you dig, you might find some other stuff. You might believe in some other stuff. And it's like, okay, where did that come from? That came from this particular time when I had this trauma. Mm. It made me feel like this. And that's where we have to work on. You're safe now. That's not happening again. You know, these different things. And with that, uh, a good therapist can help you, you know, on that path. Because you got to do the work. You can come sit down and talk to me. But then if you don't do that, when you leave my office, you just giving me money. But see, uh, the, this, okay, this is, I'm, I'm known for doing this. So I'm going to just go ahead and do it. Okay. You ask, you're basically asking a lot of a person. Am I? Because you're basically trying to get someone to <clears throat> to dig up their foundation and put down something else, something that they their morals, their beliefs, their the way they're functioning has been forever. Okay. And that's that's not an easy task it's to not. do. It's not at all. Trust me, it's it's not. The main thing is, do you want the change? How bad do you want it? Because if you don't want it, you can stay in this state that you're in. I mean, there's no law that says depression is against the law and anxiety is against you can you can you can stay in this state if you just want to. But if you want to change, that's what I was trying to get. That's what I was trying to get at right now. Yeah, if you want to change, you have to do the work. I, as a therapist, you come in, I don't know what's going on with me. I just, I'm feeling this, feeling that, this, that, and that. And we start digging, we dig, we realize, okay, we find out it's this, we discover it's that. And then I give you some tools to put in place to help you. You got to use those tools. Because if you just going to do and talk about this stuff for the 45 minutes to an hour that you're in session with me, and then you're not even thinking or doing nothing with it until we meet again, I'm not a miracle worker. I wish I could, oof, y'all good, but I cannot. You got to put in the work. You have to be intentional. You have to want it. You have to believe it. The biggest issue I have, the, the hurdle that I face a lot of times with clients is getting them to believe in themselves that they can change and get the change that they want. I find myself being more of a cheerleader, a, a inspirational person, a motivational Something to try to get them to believe in themselves because sometimes it's just been that bad to where they want the change, but they don't believe that they can achieve it. And so I'm in sessions like, rah, 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 you can do it. You got it. You can do it. You got it. We're going to get it. I believe in you. I'm not going to let you fall. Now, hey, that makes me turn into a life coach for a bit, but I'm trying to get this person to heal. Now, I don't want to be the only one wanting to heal. They got to want to heal themselves, but I'm not going to give up on them. You know, if they decide they don't want therapy anymore, it's just too hard. I can't do anything with that. I'll let them know the door is always open. When you're ready, we're going to get it. I don't throw it at them at the beginning. You know, I let them know my style and who I am. This is basically what shows up in therapy. This person y'all seeing right now, this week. You know, and I try to make people comfortable and meet them where they are. And I let them know because I've I've gone on my remember I told you I was I, my reason for being a therapist wasn't because of my issues, my issues showed up while I was on this journey of becoming a therapist. Mm -hmm. And so as I experienced my own stuff, I can you know kind of relate to a lot of people and like yes I know I might even share some of my own stuff like child I know you know what it feels like you know and all these different things so 
try to motivate and encourage people to achieve the change that they desire. You know, we're not picking up people off the street and say, come to therapy because you need it. I wish. And they would be all responsive to it. Like, yeah, okay. But they have to want it. They have to believe. And if they don't, come on. We're going to help you to try, at least try, to help you to believe in yourself. I'm going to give you all the encouragement that I can until you get to that point where you believe you can do it. And then we're going to keep on going from there. So there's a question um, that says, uh, so do you think that's what makes it hard to heal? What's that? There's somebody posted that question from whatever, what we were just talking about. And they asked, do it make it seem like that's hard to heal? Yes, by not believing in yourself. Mm. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, it can be because you have to, like, like you were saying, literally change your whole way of thinking, living in, in, in most instances and being. What you believed about yourself, what you believed about your environment, maybe even your family. You yeah. know, you have to really be willing to change your perspective, to change your environment mm -hmm. in some cases, to achieve what you want in life. And if some people can't see that change, you have to envision those things. You have to, you got to see it. You, you have to see it to believe it. You know, that's why I encourage people to journal. Vision boys, we all had them vision board parties at the beginning of the year. Hey, girl, we having a vision yeah, board we party. Do. Bring the wine. <laughs> okay, and that's cute and that's yeah. fun. I ain't mad. I had some in my time. I, I posted some, but the ideal is you have a goal that you want to achieve. Mm, yep. You get to see that, put it somewhere where you see that every, every day. day to train your brain to believe you can have it. And it'll you'll get it, whatever happens. Well, God comes in too. However, God see fit for you to do it. If you don't believe in God, believe in the universe, whatever the case may be, whatever your belief system is, you know, uh law of attraction. However, whatever, whatever you subscribe to, do that. And you're seeing it like visualization. Sometimes um, I think for me, when I was dealing with anxiety, I I would and I still sleep with sounds, I put different sounds on, but for me. I had to visualize relaxation. So I would put on like beach sounds, the, the ocean waves and the, the birds chirping and all this other stuff, the seagulls gone. And I had to envision myself relaxing to get me to relax, to be able to sleep at night because I had insomnia like crazy. And that was just for that. And that helped. And now I think I kind of trained myself. I got to sleep with sound now, but hey, I go to sleep, <laughs> you know? And I think that... Um, it does, it does make it hard to heal from trauma because you have to, you know, believe that you can. Yeah, and I think also, too, what makes it hard to, to heal from trauma is the fact that you're still experiencing trauma. Because, yeah. like, especially, like, what, uh, uh, God damn it, Kevin, what Kevin said, about um living in an environment was it kevin or whoever said living in an environment where it's like a lot of gun violence and stuff like that quincy i'm sorry quincy mm -hmm. um they look alike so shit. excuse me so oh, <laughs> so it's it's kind of hard for you to it's like an everyday battle it's an everyday fight you got to fight to 
You got to fight to prove your love. No, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no, you you got to fight. Yeah, you got to fight to 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 make these steps. But like I'm, I'm in the I'm in the field too. I don't have all the letters behind my name and all that stuff yet. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we I do it on the military side. One of the things we tell people when it comes to that, and that's why I was asking the questions about foundations and stuff. It's like you have to fight for change. You just can't change is not just gonna fall in your lap. Change is not gonna it's not gonna be easy because it's been said that it takes 21 days to create a habit. Mm-hmm. It takes 60 days to break that habit. Mm-hmm. So every thought, every negative influence that you had in your life, it's gonna take time to break each and every one. Yes. Yeah. Analogy I like to use, especially when it comes to dealing with the military, is you can't turn an aircraft carrier on a dime. It's little changes, but those little changes changes the directory, the direction of your path, of your journey. Yes. And that would be my words to Quincy or anybody else that's living in those traumatic environments. If you cannot get out right now, believe that you can and you will. You know, there's a book I'm reading right now, Think and Grow Rich, The Black Experience. And I can't think of who the author is, but I like it because I read the original one and they were saying just how people um, had adversity and how they kept trying and they believed they could and they could do some things. Well, this one uh, takes different African-American figures that we know, um, Bob Johnson, uh, Thurgood Marshall, just the... Uh, Leontine Price, just different adversities that they had. You know, many of them grew up in some deplorable uh, uh, conditions, even in slavery or Jim Crow, whatever the cases may be. And people told them a lot, no, 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 you can't do it. And whatever the case may be. And they had to believe, they had to set their mindset. They had to change their mindset that they could do it. Even if you're in hell right now, but you start saying, I'm going to get out of here. I can get out of here. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I can get out of here. I can get out of here. I'm free. It's coming. How? Now, that part, I don't know. But you calling it, you manifesting it is coming. If we think about it, I'm going to go real deep. This, this is a new one for me. In slavery times, people say, why didn't, why didn't the slaves go? They outnumbered master. Why didn't they just leave? You know, because in their mindset, they did not believe they could because of all the abuse, all of the beatings. If they did try to run and cutting folk foot off and, and, and balling them and doing all kind of horrific stuff, they were afraid. What did they do? They sang those Negro spirituals and they prayed. What did they pray about? Freedom. They prayed and they believed about freedom every single day. That's why during um, the uh, civil rights movement, Malcolm X was like, we ain't, we ain't doing that. But Martin Luther King said, we gonna sing these songs and we are going to march. And guess what happened? We got a little bit, still be light, but we did get that little bit. That was achieved because the people believed, they said it through song, they didn't realize they were doing some positive affirmations. They were manifesting that freedom. They were manifesting those civil rights and it occurred. Now it didn't happen overnight didn't happen you know slavery was here for a few you know 100 years or so and eventually you know we are where we are where we are not enslaved physically now we got to deal with this part of it i'm glad you said that shit. Duh. 
Okay, look, I told you I was Baptist. I'm about to go shout when we get off of here. Okay. <laughs> I was about to kill it. I was about to say, like, when we keep talking about the mind, the mind, the mind, what the part that we tend to fail to realize as we talk about the mind is how you feed the mind. Yes. And what you feed the mind. And everything you said about the songs, that's feeding the mind. Mm-hmm. And if you and it's interesting, I was having this conversation about um, who was I talking to? I don't know. One, of, I think one of the players, and it was talking about different songs and everything. And I said, "That's why y'all, I hate to say it, but that's why y'all are fucked up." Yeah, like the the music that you listen to, like uh, you don't it does it doesn't allow you to to they call it expression, mm-hmm. but what are you expressing anger yeah that's all you know anger hyper hyper sexuality and all that shit Mm -hmm. so that's all that's coming out but all that's doing is creating more trauma creating more issues Mm -hmm. and i was just like that is now since you said that it just popped in my head i was just like wow it is very important you have to learn see and be selective about how you feed your brain. That part. And, you know, as society, um, a lot of the music we listen to now, I love Megan Thee Stallion. I, I, I love all these folks. And I also love a lot of the gospel people, the old school gospel. I listen to diverse mm. music, you know. But you do have to realize, they said this years ago, when I think people, I don't know what year, when people was listening to uh all that, what was it? The plane of records backwards. They was like, oh Lord, it's demonic and some junk. You yeah. know, that music has a lot of influence on us. Yeah. You know, I, I might listen to some ratchet music when I'm working out because I need something to kind of pump me up a little bit. But I know when I'm going through it, I need to put on those gospel hymns for me. Man, for me that's what I need to give me some motivation and inspiration. Or if I do catch uh, some R&B person that's doing something inspirational or motivational, you know, I can listen to some of Beyonce stuff and she got some motivating uh, stuff out there, you know, but as a whole, those conscious rappers and, and singers that was, hey, what's going on? Marvin Gaye type people, they want them to be hollering about some hoes. And, and we had this whole <laughs> argument in the 90s with two live proof, what y'all feeding the children? And we was like, <laughs> no, but you know what? They was kind of right. Maybe the way they went about it, you know, I don't know. But they were kind of right about that. You know, as we get older, we see if we're feeding our children and it's all right to be a drug dealer. Girls, it's all right to fight folk in a minute and uh, do all this junk. All the little girls at school want to do lashes. I'm like, Lord Jesus, what is the matter? Right. do lashes because they're, they're <laughs> they see. They yeah. see this. They see yeah. this. This is what society feeds us. Yeah. They don't want to listen to Nas when he's conscientious. They don't, well, I don't know, Nas making records nowadays. They don't want to listen to the people who are actually telling us some good stuff. And that's not by their fault. That's by the industry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to control you, folk. I'm going to give y'all this music. Because when y'all was doing them, them spirituals, y'all was getting somewhere. You're doing too much. Give yeah. y'all some of this other stuff. So y'all can just party and get drunk and high and just do nothing with your life. That's facts. What was the um? You said so the, what was the copy. name of the book that you were talking about? There oh, is yeah. a Think and Grow Rich: The Black Experience. Let me see if I can find it on my Audible. 
It, now it's actually an old book. I saw it. I didn't know that it was that old. I think it came out in the 90s. I saw somebody on Instagram was talking about it, and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, Think and Grow Rich, The Black Choice by Dennis Kimbrough. Okay. So it's, I'm, you know, I'm listening to it because I realize I'm an audio learner. So I got to do audio books. And just what makes it different, I guess, because we could relate to these people, these famous African-American people who, you know, achieve great heights. We're learning their beginnings, <clears throat> excuse me, their backstory. A lot of times we see people, even the people that we like nowadays that's out there, they had a backstory. And if they would tell their backstory, they didn't, by chance, you might have one person that might have just been somewhere and got lucky and somebody picked them up and gave them a record deal. I don't know where that's at, but perhaps anything's possible. But these people worked and did things. And I bet you they believed that they could get those record deals and, and be successful and do all these things that they're doing. We just don't know their stories. Some might tell it. Some probably don't. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. So there's a comment um that was made by Simone. She is on it tonight in the in the comment section. But this one here where it says some people who were who were belittled by their parents when they were kids end up tolerating that behavior from everyone else when they become adults. Hot damn. Yes, because as children, we are trained, <clears throat> excuse me, as children behaviors and relationships and all these things are modeled for us. If I watch my parents, uh, how they interact with each other, I believe that's how relationships are supposed to be. That's part of that inner child. So if my dad, which my dad did not abuse my mother, but mm. if my dad was abusive, then for me, that's going to feel a sense of normal. Some, some people who have been in it tell you, I thought everybody did that. I thought everybody did to come in and beat the hell out the mama. I didn't know they did until I went and spent the no, night at a friend and they was loving on each other. It's like, oh, okay, friend, parents loving and my dad doing this. So you, yeah, you you tolerate more because you think that's what love is supposed to be. Because they tell you, well, I do this because I love you. But well, you didn't train me to believe that that's what love looks like. And I know they weren't intending it. I know they were not. You know that that slave mentality of parenting. That's what they were doing. You know, and so. I've been taught as a child, like, yep, somebody come and talk crazy to me. Okay. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah. That mean they love you. They love me. They love you. Say nothing, they must not love me. You get, you get somebody that's good for you and you've been used to that crap, you can't even deal with mm, it. Yeah. You me know, they're boring. Yep. <laughs> All that stuff. That's that so right there. Yeah. That definitely happens. That that definitely happens. So Bad we're gonna switch gears. Yeah, that part. So we're gonna switch gears a little bit and go on, on talking about grief. Okay. Uh, what is <laughs> what is your well, definition? Yeah, that's another hour. Well, grief is when you've lost something, the reaction that you have of a loss. It could typically we think of death. Death of a loved one, death of a pet. It could be a divorce. It could be losing a job, a career. Um, health issues come. It could be uh, just that change. Something that happens that we lost something, and we have to uh, 
really in essence, adjust our lives to living without whatever we lost. That's a kind of summing it up in a kind of way of what grief is. Um, death can cause trauma. That's why they, they pretty much go hand in hand. Um, death can be traumatic. Sometimes we can have trauma we experience and we grieve that sense of self that we've lost because of that trauma. Um, it's a process. It's something that one has to go to because like that same mindset change, you have to adjust to maybe that loved one not being there anymore. If that loved one died in some horrific way, that's definitely trauma. But the fact that this was the person that you were with, you depended on them, they were your everything, they're gone. That's traumatic within itself. And so it's the adjustment, is adjusting to life without whatever you lost. A lot of times, I mean, if you look at marriages, you have a lot invested in your marriage. You got financial stuff, children, uh, maybe a house, your identity. I identify as being Mrs. Whoever or Mr. Whoever, whatever the case may be. And now that's gone. Who am I? Maybe you had a career. <clears throat> excuse me. You were working in some field. You, you know, you were everything that that was your job, and you got laid off or lost a job. COVID. A lot of people lost jobs during COVID, whatnot. Now, I don't know who I am anymore because that's gone. Um, dealing with health issues, you know, people can, uh, Lord have mercy. You know, I, I had cancer <laughs> for a minute. I didn't know what I was going to be like after, you know, I had my surgery. And just the thoughts of those things had me in grief. Like the thought of my sense of independence, my health. I thought I was in decent health, but then I got cancer. What, you know, Lord have mercy. The good part of that for me, I was doing one of my grief um, uh, support groups at that time. And so that helped me, you know, as I was helping other people deal with grief, I was, I was with them. Okay. We were all supporting each other in that aspect. So um, that's in a nutshell what grief is. So a comment um, uh, says, my father just recently passed away and I feel a big void, even though he wasn't consistent in my life as a child. Okay. And you're dealing with a lot of that. You're dealing for one with father not being there and you're dealing with the inconsistencies and whatever else came with it. And so it is a lot. Um, we had someone in the group uh, Tuesday because we started this section of it, this fall uh a series um, and someone had multiple traumatic experiences that led to grief. Um, yeah. So it's not just one thing. And sometimes that loss can trigger a lot of other stuff that's happened as well. And then it's, it's about processing it. It's about, um, you know, with that person's situation, they have to heal the father issues that they were having as well as the fact that this person is no longer there. Maybe they didn't make peace. You know, who knows what the case may be in that situation. The best thing to do is to talk to somebody. If there are, I got a support group, that's one. If there are any support groups out there, I find that support groups can be beneficial. Now, everybody is different. Everybody don't like groups because it's not therapy. That's the difference. It's an opportunity to be able to kind of talk about it, get some knowledge, hear what other people are dealing with or doing. You find that you're not alone. Sometimes somebody got the same stuff you got or been through something similar and maybe have tried this or done this. Most groups that I have done, 
whether it be grief or trauma or just any other kind of support group I've done, there's always been someone who's gained some knowledge from someone there. Somebody That's the power of groups. Somebody, not just me as a facilitator, but people's experiences. I think that life experiences are really good life lessons. You know, I might have experienced some things different than you all have, and you all have experienced some things differently than I have. But if we sit down and we talk about it, I might find that I could utilize some of those things that would be helpful to me that help you. And maybe something I did won't help you. That's okay, too. Um, she said um, they had got closer in the recent years before he passed. Okay. <clears throat> so, well, I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. How does past trauma impact how you grieve? Mm. Well, it can affect because when you're grieving, that stress in itself, that past trauma can affect you physically. You might get some pain somewhere. You might even develop an illness, depending on the case. Um, people avoid those feelings, you know, um, so it can hinder a healthy grieving process because you're already shutting down that trauma feeling. Now you got this grief going on. You're trying to shut all that down. How do you even view yourself? You know, all, all of those same things we talked, all that, all that plays, all that goes together. The trauma and the grief, those go together hand in hand. You know, um, it can add to it depending on whatever. See, I knew that I, you know, could never have anybody. I, I never was good in relationships and everybody I'm married to died and that go my belief about myself again. You know, girl, I thought you were talking about yourself. I'm like, damn. <laughs> no. I was say, I, okay. No, no, no. So yeah, it yeah. It it can it can hinder how you process, but because the way you process that trauma and the way you process grief, that's the same thing there. You know, believing that this pain can be managed because I never say grief goes away. I don't believe that you ever not grieve i think that your episodes that you have your experiences diminish some you're able to function on what's considered normal for you versus when you are really going through the emotional states of it the loss the uh, longing for that person or whatever the case may be you know i always use the example of my grandmother my grandmother has been deceased oh lord I think it's 33 years now, maybe it'll be 34 in January. I always try to keep up with my sister's age. I'm getting old, I forget. But that was like the closest person to me that passed. I was 13 when she died. And so I didn't know nothing about being a therapist, grief, nothing. I watched my mother grieve, that was her mother. And I mean, I don't know, I was watching her. I knew all of her stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me, today we're good, but we might get triggered. You know, when I was sick dealing with cancer, my mom was triggered. My grandmother died of cancer, you know, so that was a big trigger. That trauma, you know, all that stuff. And I, you know, me trying to be strong for people as I always do, knowing that I was like, well, I don't know what's happening. 
you know, that triggered some stuff. Is she still grieving per se? Um, not like she was 37 years ago, but she can be triggered still. Me too. I can still be triggered. I think her, her birthday's coming up next month. You know, um, some birthdays are cool. Some days, I don't know. Just kind of, you know, I talk to people grieving. I talk to kids who've lost their grandparents at school and whatnot. And as I talk about mine, I feel me tearing up, you know. So what happens with grief, I think it's a process that we go through. We have to manage those feelings and emotions, adjusting to the loss. It gets manageable each day. Some days are hard, holidays, birthdays, the anniversary of the person's death, especially if it was something tragically traumatic, um, triggers are there. Stuff will trigger you. That's why we work on healing what we believe about those things. If you look at 9-11, the people that died during 9-11, I didn't want to get on the airplane for the longest. I didn't know nobody that died in 9-11, but that was something traumatic for me just watching it over and over and over and over again. I was like, I ain't flying. Y'all can forget about it. I've been on the plane since. But, you know, that's something that um, some people who may have lost a loved one may not want to go. They might have moved out of New York. They don't want to live in, a, you know, avoiding all of those things because of what happened. But um, just one day at a time, processing it, being able to talk to someone to work through all that stuff, because the grief will bring up past stuff if you got it. Good, bad, otherwise it will. Um, what are the signs of someone um, that is grieving? Okay, typically, <clears throat> excuse me, um, there was, I was saying was because there was these stages of grief that um, we kind of went by and then somebody found out that wasn't for grief. It was for uh, people who were dying of cancer. I don't know. But nevertheless, you do see these things. And I think that they have some merit. You will have some people who a loved one dies, some, somebody leave, whatever the case may be, there's a loss. Um, there's some shock and denial, denial of emotions. You know, you kind of numb when the, when the, when the loss first occurs, people not, you know, they just kind of numb. They may tell you I'm numb or you see no emotions, no expression. You wonder why they ain't cried and what's wrong with them. There's a numbness there because there is a shock. Like this person dead, they not dead. They not, is it really happening? Uh, many people experience a depression. Of course, we would look for depression, but depression shows up in many, many ways. It can show up as anger. You know, there's a lot of, uh, they withdraw. They could be very irritable. You know, there was a lady I knew me as a kid again. I guess I was watching everybody in there. I don't know. I was observing people. Didn't know I was going to be a therapist one day. But there was a lady, her daughter died when I was like seven years old. She drowned at the beach. Her and another boy drowned. And I remember there was a bunch of kids that were at the beach and um, their grandfather was able to save the majority of them except those two. And I remember the lady whose daughter died. I knew her. She lived by my grandmother. She was cool. She was nice. You know, but then through the years, she was she was really angry. And, you know, her disposition wasn't the best. I would say, love her to death, man. Rest in peace. She's gone. And as I 
me and my mom talked through the years and she was angry that her child was not saved. Those other children were saved. Why was her child not saved? And that lady carried that until she died. And reflecting as I always do on that, it's like, I, I yes, I see that. I, yeah, she was, she truly was. So, you know, the change as with any mental health disorder, as with anything else, what has changed in this person? You know, being self-aware, if you're the only one that's around, you can feel something different. I'm withdrawing. I'm angry. I don't want to go anywhere. I feel guilty. I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling all these different things as a result of this loss. That's how they know they're grieving. It doesn't have to be crying. They ain't crying. Okay, they might not. They might not cry. I don't know. Or they're not showing you they're crying. They're probably feeling it. Sometimes they avoid the feeling. Sometimes people... You know, we'll stay so busy to where, you know, that that's really not healthy because they don't want to face those emotions and they don't want to face the reality of the loss. And all of that is understandable. I mean, I, I, hey, I, I get it. If we want a healthy grieving process, we have to acknowledge, we have to accept, we have to <clears throat> allow ourselves to feel what we feel. When I deal with people who are grieving, they've just had a loss, children had a loss. Number one thing I tell them, allow yourself to feel what you feel. They look mm -hmm. like what other people like, that's it. That's all I can say, because until you start feeling some things, then we can put in the work. When, when the, the funeral homes would try to have some grief counseling available, the people not feeling that in that moment. They trying to bury their loved one. They trying to get, you know, figure out life and do all that part they're not ready to put in the work for that process i get it hey you know dare i say when a difficulty shows up is when we can do the best work now we can give you some things ahead of time which would be allow yourself to feel what you're feeling once these things start popping up then we can process it and see what's going on and see how we can heal that yeah because i almost whooped the uh funeral director ass at my grandfather's funeral yeah, y'all, people don't be ready for that at that time. Mm -mm. The focus is, I, I can't believe this is happening. Let me get my loved one, you know, uh, yeah. whatnot, whatever their wishes were and all these things. That's the focus. You know, so catch me, six, catch them six months later, maybe even yeah. a year later. Yeah. Yo, yo, Could yo. constantly talking about <clears throat> it um, and not, not talking about it as a talk about it, I guess, to express it, but to always bring it up, the people that died, like in a constant, a sign of not necessarily dealing with it. Like talking about them as if they're still here? In a in an aspect of, um, yeah, you know, my, my grandpa and my brother, you know, they, they died. And then it's like you you putting stuff, man, on, on my grandpa, I'm on my brother, and man, you know, I, I'm still dealing it. You know, I put it on everything with them, and you know, my 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 grandma, you know, my uncle, this this like just constant keeping them where they're constant coming up in conversation. I think that they're probably stuck, and that if they're using their their death as an excuse for some things. Um, it sounds like they're a bit stuck, so to speak. 
if that's if they feel like my life is like this because these folks died, then they definitely yeah. need to talk to somebody. Kind of like that. that. Just mm-hmm. constant. Yeah. Just, you Why know, it you comes up in the yeah. Yeah. Like it just constant, like it just, I mean, it comes up quite a bit. It could be even in day-to-day conversation. And it's not in the the aspect of, you know, I you don't, they're not really saying I miss them. It's that you know, hey, I, I can't wait to meet them in an aspect or they just come up in general conversation. Almost almost kind of like they still here, but they're not here. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that doesn't sound the most healthiest. Um, and then it would be about having a conversation with that person to really see like what what is that, what that's about, you know, to really speak to it. Um, but it almost sounds like maybe that's that's their excuse for why things are the way they are. Um, they're they've put their life on hold um, because they're trying to keep them, and that happens. That happens um, when people don't discard stuff. Um, is the reality they they don't want to necessarily accept the reality that this person isn't here anymore, and I have to learn how to function without them. I have to learn how to live my life without this person being here. That kind of thing. And and that comes in many ways. There was a lady that came to my group one time. Her husband had passed and she was looking at the obituary and it was something she was doing repetitiously her daughter was saying. And it was almost like if she did something different that would have to acknowledge her husband wasn't here anymore. Mm. So we had to work on her not doing it every single day, but maybe, you know, doing it once a week, trying to normalize some things back in her life, put, putting some things in place. And she would still have that. She still had pictures of them. They weren't like taking pictures of them down or nothing like that, but just her to be able to function. She stopped functioning because of that loss. And so it was putting some things uh-huh. to help her to function, you know in that so mm, gotcha okay so another question um can grief happen before a loss it can the ideal of losing that person can definitely happen you know that that's it's a fear if you um you have a loved one that you know has an illness medical condition whatnot and they only have a matter of time or you fear they only have a matter of time, then you can grieve the idea of losing that person. If there's a relationship that you know is not going nowhere, you you don't want to leave the person, but you know the relationship is not going anywhere, you're not happy, maybe it's even toxic, you can start grieving that loss before the loss even happens. We can grieve loss of people we don't even know. You know, mm-hmm. watch the news or celebrities. Michael Jackson died, everybody fell out. I ain't never met Michael Jackson. And I ain't mad at them. Yeah, you know, everybody do what they do. Uh, you know, folks yeah. really be that connected to people. And, and you know, I listen to his music still. But, you know, people, I don't know, for whatever reason, people fell away, celebrities passed away, we never met. But that's their person that they enjoyed watching or listening to or whatever the case. That person mm-hmm. is gone. That, yeah. Or people can have lost someone somebody else lose somebody and it triggers their loss 
you know, a lot of people say, I just buried my whoever. I'm not going to this one funeral. I just lost somebody, my whoever. And I don't, I can't go to these other funerals yet because I just lost somebody that's triggered. Yeah. Trying to avoid those triggers. Mm, yeah, I stopped doing funerals about 11, 12 years ago. It, it has to be a real immediate um, family member for me to go. Yeah, it's just, I'm just tired of funerals. That's what it is, man. It's just like some some hit me in a different aspect. Uh, for me, children that lose they they lose their mothers and they're still like children in their age. That that hits me in a whole different way. Yeah. Oh yeah. I you know I I thank the Lord. My mother is still here. I haven't had that loss, and that's not a loss that I don't, we're, we never look forward to losing anybody. Right. But that's one that I couldn't imagine at this time what in the world, you know, how I would be with that particular loss. Yeah, my heart goes out to any and everybody that have any loss, but especially you lose your mother, and then we have children um, mm -hmm. that we deal with that have lost their parents, and I've you know, it's, it's almost like y'all are kids right now. Lord help us when y'all become adults, how that's going to affect you. you yeah. know? And so we just try to give them tools because, like I said, until the stuff starts showing up, we can give them tools to kind of prepare them for them, but we don't know what we need to typically work on until uh, the stuff shows up. Because if they feel like they're yeah. good, okay. You know, let's get some coping. If you if you begin to feel this way, do this and try these things and this stuff. And at some point, bam, it hits. And yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And on that, uh, uh, me and my dad was having a conversation um, actually yesterday. And uh, he was telling me that, you know, he's like, you need to take care of yourself. He was like, I know the stress of you being the oldest is a totally different ballgame when it comes down to not only to your siblings, but even to um, dealing with your parents. And I'm like, yeah. And he said, you know, that's kind of why I don't like telling you anything because I know that you're going to work. And I was like, yeah, because. I, you my daddy. Like, I'm not, I'm, that's some, something that I'm not ready for. I know life, life's, but that's mm -hmm. an aspect that I know I'm not ready for. And then I look at it also, my son is like that. Like, my son has nightmares about me not being here and him feeling alone. So I'm like, God damn it. That, that just keep passing that little torch, that little generation torch. And the main thing that you can do, like I tell anybody, enjoy what you have at this time. Be in this moment, enjoy enjoy your family members, enjoy them, spend time with them, make memories, do what you can with them. We don't know, Lord help us when, you know, they won't be here anymore. All we can do is enjoy the moment. You know, as I get older, as my parents get older, um, it runs across my mind, of course, it does. I talk about grief every day, so yeah, I'm gonna think about it. But I, I've decided to just enjoy them, you know. I'll take them out to eat, they always want Papa Do's, Lord. I'm like, can we go somewhere else, Jesus? Okay, but I, I just <laughs> enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the moments because these are 
these are important years, you know, their steps are getting slow and they, you know, remember stuff sometimes and it's like, okay, hell, I don't remember stuff sometimes. But um, as, as far as coping with that, because they could bring up a phobia, they could bring up a lot of anxiety, you know, the ideal of someone leaving, you just have to enjoy the moment, you know, not I'm doing this thing on that tomorrow. It could get to that, but we're going to try to, you know, have it to not get to that, to manage those thoughts about life and death. And I think that's the main thing. We have a belief about death. If our parents are, you know, pass away, what, excuse me, life will look like. And that's where we have to work on that belief. You know, yes, I will be upset. Yes, I will grieve. And yes, I will do right by my parents as far as however their, their wishes are. Um, for their services and whatnot. And I will live my life to try to continue to, to make them proud and have their legacy to live on. Those are things that I'll, I'll do. Yeah, I'm going to be upset. Somebody going to have to come catch me, but I will be all right. Man, say. <laughs> say. Okay, I'm going to be a straight jacket uh, victim. Uh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. that system is, is what will keep you anxious. And I, I, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I, I do get it. I do. But as long as you have that, then you will be anxious about it because your your belief is he passes away, they pass away. I can't do anything anymore. I'm going to yeah. just be no good to anybody. If you keep believing that, then you're perpetuating that, that anxiety, that trauma before trauma even happens. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I get it. I do get it. Though. But that's something we gotta we gotta work on. Gotta work on that. Ooh, Lord, yeah, yeah. No, you you definitely right. Yeah, yeah you you definitely right. And I I know that. And I'll say that trauma for me goes back to childhood because I remember even back to childhood where I would have dreams that my dad died and it would be in different scenarios. And even to my adult life, I still have those dreams. Because mm -hmm. there's a fear. Yeah. There's a fear there. And the main thing would be, where did that fear come from? That's that inner child, where did it come from? Did somebody lose? And you might not have lost somebody. Maybe somebody you were close to lost somebody and you saw how they reacted. They responded their empathy for them maybe. Like, man, you know, they, I, I don't know what I would do, you know, which that's a conversation for many. Um, the older I get, I see a lot of my classmates lost their parents. And for one thing, I try to practice some gratitude that I do have. And I, like I said, I try to do things with them. I try to take them out to eat and, and just enjoy. Um, I live an hour away from them now. So I try to visit. I'll be busy, but I try to visit, you know, as much as I can and spend time with them and do stuff. So, um, yeah, but we have to speak to that inner child that have that belief about parents dying and what that looks like and how we can function after that. Because the real deal is how am I going to function with them not here? Yeah. You have to function. No, you're, you're, right. Right. you're definitely mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I had a um, classmate reach out to me the other day. His mom passed away and I was like, and that yeah. whole reality was like, yeah, our parents is getting yeah. up there in age. I look at uh, Google photos and I saw one photo came up and it was like maybe like eight years ago of my dad. And then it was a current picture. And I was like, 
wow, Pops is getting old. Like, yeah. But on yeah. the flip side of it, thank God he's still here. I'll be grateful yeah. that he's still here. Definitely. And, you know, to be able to talk with you and, you know, whatever y'all do to be able to keep doing it. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely a blessing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you're right. You those positive right. thoughts, those good good memories, good interactions, gratitude. You know, just keep you know keep those things so you don't dwell on it. Yeah, you're gonna be upset. You know, of course, you know, but don't dwell on it. Don't let it make you anxious to the point where you are having nightmares. And you know, teach your child how to just have that gratitude that this person I really really love is still here, and we're able to do things, and I can talk to them and. You know all these different things and stay in the moment stay in the present don't worry to see anxiety messes up because we think about futuristic stuff you know depression messes up because we think about the past we got to stay in the present presently he's still here y'all able to talk do whatever do that stay in the present does that creep in those other thoughts yes and you just redirect those thoughts back to we back in we're in the present this is where we are and we're gonna enjoy these moments while we while we're gonna enjoy these moments as we are, not while I can, because they ain't gonna be here. Take that part out of that conversation. And we're gonna enjoy these moments today. Yeah. Period. We're gonna enjoy tomorrow. We're gonna tomorrow here. We're gonna enjoy this as we are at this moment. So I got a question before definitely. we uh Most definitely. before we close out or whatever. Okay. All of this stuff that you're doing for all these other people, like, how do you prevent provider burnout? Woo, baby. Let me tell you, I had some serious burnout earlier this year. I actually had it. The, no, I take it back. It was the latter part of last year and some earlier this year. <clears throat> now, one good thing about me. I don't mind diversifying some things, doing some things a little differently, getting into some different things. Um, so I am a licensed professional counselor supervisor. So when the individual therapy kind of burns me out a little bit to switch gears, I have people who I'm training to become clinicians to get their license. Kind of focus on that. Switch gears a little bit. I have these support groups going on. You know, that's kind of where it is coming from because I am kind of getting a little burnt with, you know, the individual stuff. So I'm switching gears a little bit. I am an educator to my heart. So I do want to do some workshops and do some things, advocating in a different way. Self-care is important. It is important. What I've, what I've started doing, um, my day looks like I, I go to work. I work, you know, what, from 7.15 to 3.30. I come home, I try to take a little nap, eat something, and then at least by 5 or 5.30, Jesus, I'm seeing clients. I've changed up my schedule some, to, so I'm only seeing clients certain days and Saturdays is when I see the bulk of people. Certain days I'm seeing my interns and associates for supervision, but I will take a week off once a month. I'm not seeing anybody that week once a month. My practice was meant to be a Saturday practice, but I've had so many people that needed therapy and we have limited resources in the Port Arthur area. It's, I was like, okay. And some people couldn't do Saturdays and that's fine. So I find myself 
if we have four Saturdays out of the month, I'm only working two of those Saturdays. These last couple months, we've had five Saturdays. So I've been a little creative. I'm intentional with the downtime. I'm intentional with doing something that's not working or advocating. And so that's what I've been doing so far. Um, those weeks come in handy, you know, days that I could actually leave school and just come home and just whatever, you know, just do nothing if I don't feel like it. I have my self-care um, nights that I may go get a massage, go eat at one of my favorite restaurants. I like to work out, so I kind of have that as something to help me deal with it. Uh, self-care, I promote self-care. If you follow any of my posts, I'm talking about some self-love or self-care somewhere, and then I'm doing it. Not just talking about it, I'm doing it. Uh, vacationing again. I don't know that I've ever truly been on a vacation other than if I was dating somebody or with my family. That's a whole other story. And so that's something that I have in the works next year. I'm going to do some traveling, vacationing. And so being intentional and making certain that I'm good, because if I'm not good, I can't help nobody. So that's what that's I'm doing. That's true. So that, that is definitely true. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That was a hard one for me. That was a very hard one for me. Um, but I do self-care Sunday. Okay. Without feeling, without feeling any remorse about it. It is what it is. If I want to lay in the damn bed all day and sleep, if I want to watch TV, let Netflix, whatever it is, I do self-care Sunday. And I it's it's me. It's my downtime, my recharge from the week, whatever I decide to do, and I do not feel bad about it. Very good. Very good. Yes, we have to take care of ourselves. And that's the part, not feeling bad about it, because I don't know why society wants to tell us that if we're not being productive, something is wrong. And I have to tell myself at times, it's okay to not do whatever. It's okay to just decide, you know what, I'm going to lay on this couch and I'm just going to chill the rest of the night. Yeah, I brought work home. It'll get done at some point. You know, yeah. Uh, got my notes. It'll get done before I file some claims. I, I have I've learned the hard way to listen to my body, listen to my mind. If I start getting foggy, yeah. I need to get on down. Now I have my plan times set already, but if I'm feeling a little foggy or something before that time, guess what? I'm I hate canceling sessions, but I might just have to go on and do that because if I if I'm sitting in a session, I'm like I'm tired. I'm tired. Lord, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired. Anybody gonna get nothing from that? You know, so I have learned to um, take that time and be okay with taking that time because I know I have to recharge. And when I do recharge, I'm able to pour, you know, when my cup is refilled, I'm able to pour some more. I go back and refill my cup, pour a little bit more, you know. I'll tell you this. I see this question. Y'all read all the questions because I ain't going to address it if y'all don't read all the questions that's up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's sex, yeah. self-care, alcohol, or weed. I will tell you this. If you are stressed and you are using sex for self-care, you might be a sex addict. 
that's where addiction comes from. It don't come from just having sex with everybody around the block. If you're using it as a method <laughs> to cope, y'all might have an addiction. Alcohol and weed are very bad forms of self-care. They are awful forms of self-care. Just a little uh, uh, a note. That vaping, that THC and that vape, I don't know if it's causing mental illness or it's canceling out the, the medication that people are taking. It's doing something. Uh-oh. I ain't talking yeah. about it. I'm seeing it every day with these children. Yep. <clears throat> so yep. it is a very negative form of self-care. There are more positive and constructive things that you can do besides those things. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep, because, is, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree because like when I was in um when I was in uh, another place, we had to admit. Like I want to say, like seven people, we had mm-hmm. psychotic breaks off of vapes, yes. and like in in a two month period. Yes. Oh, wow. It, it it I don't you know I don't know I don't know if there's any research if somebody's gonna do some research I'm like maybe I need to go. It's get not. It's too profitable. Some research, you know, but it, it's it's the illegal part of it. it. I don't know that it's the regular nicotine part of the vaping. It's the THC that I'm seeing. They, I now, I don't know where it comes from. Now, is it legal over there where y'all at? Because I'm in Texas. And, you know, they say... We, we in Texas? Well, I'm in Texas. I'm okay. in South Carolina. I don't know. Well, the shit, they smoke it like it's weed. It's yeah, legal. yeah. It's pretty much everywhere. <laughs> what I have noticed, and like I said, I don't know if it's a cause or an effect. You know, people who... Not every single person, but there's a, a, a large number that's growing that use these THC vapes. I'm seeing it in young folks because that's what I see every day. Some of them are having some psychosis. As a, I don't know if it's a result of it, but they smoke it. Here comes the psychosis. Did they already have some mental health issue there that they didn't know that maybe whatever's in it is making it manifest a little earlier than it would? You know, or is it causing brain damage? We know people used to smoke wet, fry, all that stuff, had the name because it was what it was. They get weed, they put it in a bombing fluid, or they uh, put uh, what acid or something. I don't know why, why mm-hmm. they supposed to be that stuff. God bless them. But they did, and they ended up brain fried. That's why they called it fry. Mm-hmm. Now you got the THC mm-hmm. carts that goes in these vapes, and I don't know what's in it. I don't even know if they know what's in it, but you do see a and lot of folks coming back with psychosis or they having a psychotic break in that moment some some of it is short term some of it seems to be long term you know and that's i'm just i'm like look y'all need to leave that be leave that's why to answer your question leave that mess alone if you're already having problems and you add all that stuff to it you're gonna have more problems more basically problems. yep mm-hmm. definitely definitely mm-hmm. So um, we are going to get ready to close out because um, we are almost at this two-hour mark. Lord. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said an hour, and I was like, ooh, oh, we, we, we can go. Y'all can go. Y'all get me going. I'm, I'm going to keep going. We're at an hour just dealing with the um, trauma. Just the trauma. Really, they, they yeah, they do. They go in hand in hand. That's why I decided mm-hmm. to do them, you know, both together. So, um, yeah. But you, you know, you, you know, you gotta I forgot about the grief part. His Lord, we know. But you know, we gotta have you back, right? Okay. 
Shoot, y'all do Friday night. <laughs> I don't, I don't be out like that. So you know, Friday night you can catch me because that's part of my downtime. It's a Friday night. I don't see no clients. Every now and again, I might go out if, if somebody having something, but most of the time, I'm at home. I'm like, child, I gotta recharge these batteries because I have clients. But I've enjoyed myself. You know, I really appreciate you allowing me onto your platform. And I, I really hope that something that was shared here, somebody could take with them something positive in their lives or even look at their own lives and wonder, okay, am I okay? Maybe I could talk to somebody. Maybe there's something, a resource or something uh, they could inquire about for free therapy. Because it's out there. You just have to look for it. They're not going to market it. But I've, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed this platform. I really appreciate it. Yes, definitely. Uh, I know I I have some takeaways even from tonight for myself. So and, and some confirmation. So I, I hey, this this was up my definitely up my alley. I greatly appreciate you uh, coming on. So go ahead and tell people how they can contact you and about the grief and trauma class that you at group that you actually have coming up next month, which I'm already registered for. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. All right. So for the trauma and grief support group, I decided to do them once a month. The next one is October 24th. Oh, Lord. Forget the other days. I have one that's in November and another one in December. I can't remember what days, but uh, you could check me out. Uh, check out my website, www.lavalislpc.com. Say that slow. Look at my last name, LPC. Com. You can check out the website for some information. Also, you can register for my monthly newsletter there where I put announcements for different things that I'm doing. Social media, you can go to Larnika Lavalis LPC, PLLC, or check out Larnika Lavalis on Facebook. On Instagram, you can check out Larnika Lavalis LPC, PLLC. I have some of these other things, but I don't really be on there. <laughs> but if you really want to see what I'm doing up to date, <laughs> Facebook, and then Instagram. And you can, uh, like I said, check out the website. If you Google me, look, I can say that if I call a little bit. If you Google me, okay, you will find me if you Google me. If you like, all right, what's all that she said? Just go on and Google it. You're going to find me. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, Because, look, yeah, I got mommy, you see. I got my little my my support thing group confirmation early. I was like, Hoop, I'm in there like somewhere. Okay. You'll get some follow-up yes. info on that in a couple weeks. A couple weeks I'm gonna get we're gonna move to Zoom. So hopefully we won't get no hackers. That was my main thing. Like, I don't want nobody to come with no junk. We're moving to Zoom a bigger platform so we can have more people to come and not cut it off like we did before. So cool. That yeah. is awesome. Um, I will also post the links um, on the um, Facebook live uh, feed as well in the YouTube um, for both. So y'all, in case somebody misses it or whatever, so I'll post them as also as well. So definitely uh, so y'all can get in touch and if y'all can get into that session if you need it because they <laughs> free. Oh, my, it's free. That's why I say free stuff is out there. The next one I'm doing will be uh, for parents, educators, and people who have their license and need continuing education units for uh, self-harm. 
I was debating. Yes, I'm down for that one too. Suicide together, but I'm gonna keep it separate. I'm gonna do self harm first, and probably later maybe do suicide. Um, so yes, that's part of what I do as an advocate. I want to educate the community. The more we know, the better we can help ourselves. Definitely, definitely. And as y'all see, I already say we she she coming back. Hey, she coming back. I don't know for what. <laughs> what the subject will be but we we don't have her back definitely have her back. i appreciate it i definitely. appreciate it yeah, we can do a part two uh, yes. what, so uh, i'm with it i'm with it just let me know yes uh well hey yeah. yeah we 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 definitely can we we definitely can do that too you know we good for part twos look <laughs> you know oh, we good for okay. part two so all right hey yeah, we, we, this yeah we, we love our part twos because we have some the, awesome. yes there you go all right so how would you how would you like to end the night any wise words anything like that basically uh my wise words we are responsible for us we as a community are mm. responsible for us and we have to do the work so we can be okay, so we can help each other. There is help out there. You just have to know where to look. It's okay to not be okay. Um, we have to take care of ourselves. That's the main thing I can leave. You know, I could probably go a whole nother hour, but that's the main thing. We have to be responsible for ourselves. Mental health is not taboo. It's something that happens. Unfortunately, we've gone through so much surprises it wouldn't happen you know because of everything that we as a people and we have in this generation have endured so i'm here to help reach out i i'm i'm, I'm accessible mental health is more accessible than you think even if in your neighborhood it's not there get on y'all online watching this y'all get online get some mental health uh help out there so that's all i got Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, um, I, I guess uh, DA is DA term probably to have his internet trip because he did not uh -oh. see this and I Thank know he always, got, he, he always got something to say. Uh -oh. something to say. So he might pop back on to do his outro but if not uh i want to thank you again for coming on tonight uh that it definitely means a lot and plus you cool people we we chapter chopped it up and communicated before the episode and everything and you you cool people so you definitely and say you are all right with me i love it and i definitely appreciate it because i know this is something that's um definitely definitely needed um in these areas and we don't talk about it enough um a lot of people are suffering in silence and this is where that that open door and that opportunity for people to get to the point of suicidal kicks in yes. because there's too many closed ears yeah. or it's too many uh too much of the judgment so people sit in silence and suffer uh we lose a lot of our kids and family members to this. So, um, and this is the season. Like, uh, y'all know we do do an episode on seasonal affective disorder. This season started uh, in September. It goes through the holidays. 
it gets real. Yeah. People suffer finances. If we looking at government shutdown coming up. Uh, COVID is, uh, it ain't never left. It's, it's mm. still here and the numbers are rising. So, um, you know, finances get tight. Hey, groceries is hot. It's oh, Lord, yes. I bought three bags of groceries the other day and <laughs> spent $125. Okay. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, me a Wait a minute. Getting milk and eggs, Lord. It's like, dang, I need to give me a cow and some chickens. That one. Man, I'm telling you, I'm like, what is really going on? So just, um, hey, if y'all don't have an ear, please find somebody that you could talk to. You do not have to suffer alone. Um, there there are people, even the, you know, suicide hotline. Hey, I get every lot of people know because I am that person for a lot of people. I'm here. Now, granted, yeah. I ain't going to lie to you. I'll be taking naps because I'm tired. So, okay. you know, you mess with job, I get back to you. But, um, that that's the last way I want to lose a, a family member yeah. or a friend. Yeah. So um, hey, hit me up. Say hey, I just need to talk. Hey, I just need something. Let's take a walk. Like hey, it's starting to get cool again. I we can go mm -hmm. walk the trail because it's starting to cool off and going to get going and continue <laughs> project fine and go ahead and get trails and reduce <laughs> that that being out in nature. Do a little something. To okay. You. Yes. Ooh, yes. So mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I'm trying to go in the morning while you're playing. Okay, so, that's yeah. my goal. I'm like, if it don't be too soggy out there, I'm going to walk in the morning. Man, I'm telling you, I, mm -hmm. that uh, this Texas heat took me way out of commission yeah. from my yeah. damn walks. Oh, I was yeah. like, uh-uh. I'd be laying on the pavement and cooking if okay. I walk now. So, yeah, this coolness creeping in, I'm like, oh. Yeah, man. oh, that's my time. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love so, to go out in nature when it's cool. Mm, yes, so I'm I'm loving it. I'm definitely loving it. So on that note, we are out. Uh Lanika, I'm gonna sit you in the background right quick while I close out and okay. we'll be right back with you. All righty. Yes, so again, um use your resources. Uh like I said, she does have a free group that she does. Uh, I joined today when the when the message came out. So uh, I will be in there like swimwear myself. I'm about mental health. I'm about therapy. Uh, I I have a trauma coach right now. Um, shoot, uh, over the weekend on Sunday I did. Um, God, what is the name? I can't even think of the the whole name of it. But oh, biomagnetic therapy session. So I'm about healing and working on these traumas and these issues. So, hey, let, um, my, my idea is let's get it. Let's be better. Let's be greater. Let's be better than what we were before. And, uh, hey, we, 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 we got to get it. It's, it's about being better and growing and being aware of yourself. So, um, and what you got going on? So on that note, we are out. We will see you next weekend. Not sure quite what next weekend's title will be yet. Um, waiting on some confirmations of some uh, other guests, but definitely tune in next Friday. We will be mm, look who look who popping back up. I told y'all he was gonna do this, man. I promise. I told y'all he was gonna pop back up right before we closed out. They're not. Mm, yeah, here we go, black people. Mm. Look up. What I ain't said nothing. Mm. Okay. Did you go get in the bed? I see it.
what happened was when I tell you everything shut down, I was like, damn, this government shut down for real. <laughs> <laughs> they shut down every fucking thing. Lights, everything when I I was like, uh oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh I, like, I thought it was supposed to be on the first, but I, I guess I guess not. <laughs> they starting early. They say we trying to say they say we're gonna do y'all ass on the week hey on the last weekday. <laughs> So I guess there ain't nobody going to work on Monday. So I don't know. Oh Lord, Jesus. this shit you crazy. Wanna, you want to go on and give your outro since you didn't peek back in here? At the uh, hell, line? hell, oh, shit. <laughs> hey, come out of the dark. <laughs> come out of the dark. Uh, do what you got to do to to get yourself in a better place. It's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah, she said that same thing. That's funny. Yeah. She said the same thing for hers. Yeah. Oh, definitely. yeah. It is. She it's okay did. to not be okay. That don't mean something. That don't mean you fucked up. That means yeah. you dealing with some fucked up shit. Mmm. I like. I like the way you did that, though. Yeah, I like the way mm -hmm. you did that. That's what's up. Well, so, yeah. Hey. If, uh, again. Oh, last but not least. Hey. Go ahead. If you don't believe in voting and voting in the right people, look at me. I'm sitting in a goddamn dark. You need to vote. <laughs> Go out and vote for the right people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what? You you need help. Uh, today ain't a check big enough. Lord, it ain't a check big enough. Anyway, on that note, like I said, tune in if you have not yet. Subscribe to the Facebook page. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube page. And you can get the notifications when we're coming on. Um, and if you haven't also, go to the um, the actual website page. Um, Y'all can follow stuff on there. Y'all can listen on there. We're on all platforms, Spotify, Pandora. We on, we on a little bit of everything. I'll be working over here. Um, so go ahead and do that. And y'all can even leave comments on the um, the actual website. So, uh, again, have a wonderful weekend. Please be safe. Stay prayed up, meditated. Do get some meditations going on, all that wonderful stuff, because we want everybody to be okay and still here. So um, on that note, we are out and have a very, very blessed weekend. Yeah, what's up with it? Do it cause I love it and I stuck with it We ain't with the sub and in the cut with it Please none of the talks, I heard enough of it Like, what you gonna do? Where you at? Who you with? You ain't really about this Don't talk about it